0: What up, what up? It's Dramos from the Life as a Gringo podcast. And y'all already know, food has the power to bring people together. Whether it's takeout for two or watching the season finale of your favorite show, or going to a barbecue with your peoples, both go great with an ice-cold Coca-Cola by your side. And if you can't cook, chips and dip work, especially as you listen to your go-to podcast. At Michael Tura, we know familia, friends, and community matter. That's why we aim to elevate Latino voices. So share the magic of our podcast with your friends and add a Coca-Cola to the mix because there's magic when we eat together. Coca-Cola, proud partner of the Michael Tura Podcast Network. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Thura shows like Life is a Gringo, available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: God bless America. This is Rich Valdez, and you're listening to This is America. We are here 17 floors above Madison Square Garden right here in New York City, and today is the National Day of Prayer. And it reminds me of a quote that I read about George Washington that I tweeted out just this morning. So if you want to check it out, it's at Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez. Here it goes. It's Almighty God, we make our earnest prayer that thou wilt keep the United States in thy holy protection. And that, of course, is our first president of the United States, George Washington. From the circular letter to the governors of several states in June of 1783, Washington went on to say, I now make it my earnest prayer that God would have you and the state over which you preside in his holy protection, that he would most graciously be pleased to dispose all of us to do justice, to do mercy, and to demean ourselves with that charity, charity meaning love, humility, and pacific temper of mind, which were the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion. Without a humble imitation of whose example in these things, we can never hope to be a happy nation. This refers to virtue. This refers to us having the character and characteristics of the Almighty, the Most Holy, the All-Knowing, the All-Present, the Omnipotent, God. Without God, without virtue, without morality, rooted in the universal truths of the Ten Commandments. We can't have a just society. And this is why we have so many problems today. This is why we have problems with abortion. This is why we've legalized abortion. And it's not about making it legal or illegal or talking about it's your body, it's your choice. This isn't about any of that. This is about what is right and true. Or as in Puerto Rico, as they say, right true. How do we do what is right and good? How do we do what is morally correct and upright? Why do we even care to do those things? Well, it's because we believe in something bigger than ourselves. And the moment we don't, we lose the glue that holds us all together. That belief in love, that belief in our fellow man. And it's so evident through everything that we do. We see it every single day. We see it when it comes to every political problem that we face today can be broken down through the lens of virtue or morality. And if you think that's provocative, let's really break that apart. Why is it that people put so much hope, so much reliance into the government, into worshiping at the altar of the state, worshiping at the altar of the almighty government? Why? Well, it's because Marx, who's the most famous teacher of communism, has taught us that you get rid of religion, you get rid of God, you get rid of private property, and then you can use the state to subjugate the people. Because as long as people believe that they have rights that are given to us from God, they're not going to bow down to the government. And a little bit later, we're going to talk about exactly how tyrannical governments are becoming with respect to my former profession of being a barber. People in the barbershop and hair industry are coming under attack all across America. So in the third segment... Today, we're going to talk about that, and you're going to hear my thoughts on it with Curtis and Juliet, and it's a live segment from WABC that I literally just finished doing, so we're going to do that a little bit later, but right now I want to talk about why is it important for us to have a grounding in morality? Why is it important for us to have a grounding in virtue so that we lean toward truth? Well, the reason, it's very simple. It's the reason we walk down the street and we don't think every last person is going to kill us. It's because we err on the side Of believing in people. We believe that you're not a murderer. We believe that you're innocent until proven guilty. We believe that we coexist together peaceably. But the minute that virtue is no longer the glue that holds us together and we abandon morality, well, literally all hell will break loose. And we're seeing that happen in our body politic. We're seeing that happen when you have people that think that war is the right answer. Let me ask you a question. Should we kill or murder or put down, quote-unquote, those that we disagree with, whether it's philosophically or politically? Should we kill people we disagree with? For example, if we believe that Obama and Comey, Brennan, Clapper, the rest of the cabal, acted against the United States, acted against Trump, acted against we the people, if we believe that they violated the Constitution, is it okay for us to now consider the Constitution quote unquote old school and just give it up? Should we give up on the rule of law? Is it okay to just forget the constitution because somebody else forgot the constitution? Because those clowns decided to break the law, we should break the law? Is that all right? And I really want to know, this is a serious question for me. I want to know if you think it's okay to say, screw you constitution, screw you biblical morality. I'm going to do what I think is right In my carnality, in my limited thinking as a human being, forget the rules. They broke the rules. I break the rules. Get at me on Twitter, at Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez with an S. I want to know your thoughts. Because I hear way too much talk, way too much talk about people saying there's two types of Americans. You know, you're either with us or you're against us. It's almost like they're going into this false equivalence uh, argument with a preconceived notion that I don't care what you say. I'm going to always decide that I should kill the bad guy. I should identify a bad guy. And once I've identified the bad guy, I should kill the bad guy. There is no fixing the problem, right? So if colleges are bad, we got to get rid of the professors. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this what Castro did? Isn't this the Stalin approach? This is literally like the Bolshevik party's best case scenario, that in America, we would kill ourselves. We would kill each other because they've planted the seed of discord. There are enough Americans now that have signed up for the all-out crazy AOC way of thinking. They think Stalin wasn't so bad. They think Hitler, not so bad. That's insane. That's crazy. But it's happening. And I'm not talking about left and right. I'm talking about in general. I, I know people. I've met people, I've spoken with people that are willing to do anything and they don't care what rule they break in the name of God and country. And I ask myself and I ask you or I ask them, is that biblical? Is that constitutional? Do you give a damn about the Constitution? Do you give a damn about our founding? Or do you only give a damn about you? Do you only give a damn about your anger? Are you just speaking out of frustration? That's what I think. I think they're full of it. I don't think we're headed toward a civil war. I think there are people egging on a civil war. There are people that would love to have a civil war. They're waiting for that moment. Some of them say the minute that the economy falls through the floor, that's our signal. Others say Trump himself will give a signal. Yet others have different types of chat boards and whatnot. And I say to them, who's your bad guy? They never have an answer. The left, that's all they can say, the left. See, this is why I do what I do. I speak against an ideology of leftism. I do it every day because I believe it's wrong. And I believe that leftism has crept into and taken over several key institutions in America, not the least of which is the nuclear family. And we could do probably a series of podcasts on that, and I probably should, because that's probably one of the things that drives me the most. But the three main most practical ones outside of the family, which I believe is the bedrock of society, are the institutions of media, schools, the classroom, and the government, every level of government, government, education, media. Those three institutions in America have been taken over and they are accepted as public goods, as existing for the benefit of the public and in the public's trust. We think and expect our government to be of, for, and by the people. For our benefit, not for theirs. We expect the news media to sell advertising, but for the news that they do in between the commercials to be for our benefit. Us, the viewer. Us, the listener. And we expect that teachers will leave their partisanship at home so that they can teach future generations of Americans how to be critical thinkers and make choices on their own. Not to indoctrinate them with what I think. Not to teach little Johnny or little Susie. When you grow up, do you want to marry a boy or do you want to marry a girl? Not to peddle the idea that it's a choice, not a child. But just to give them the facts. Facts are so important. Probably a good time to talk about JustFacts.com. JustFacts.com always uses primary source data. And it's the type of data that you can rely on because it hasn't been tainted with spin, whether it's left or right. And I urge you to go there. Check out JustFacts.com, F-A-C-T-S, JustFacts.com. There's tons of reports there and they're really, really worthwhile. And they're not three pages, six, 10, 12 pages. They really go in depth. And Just Facts is a good example to use in how one guy and his group, James Agresti and his group, are leading the way because academia has let us down. Because many levels of government have let us down. So he gets whatever data that he can get from the primary sources, puts it together and analyzes it so that we can digest it and make our own determinations on very critical topics, things that you would expect the university to be doing, things you would expect your government to be doing, but they're not. Because like I said, the government, colleges and schools and the media have been co-opted. They've been taken over and repurposed to push an agenda. And this happened not overnight. This has been going on my entire lifetime. It was going on, but it wasn't as apparent during the Reagan years. And that was who was president when I was a little kid. So the point I'm making to you right now is the point that I've made many times before. And I think I just have to keep repeating it because I think we forget. We have to take back these institutions in order to take back our country. We can't just go kill everybody willy-nilly. That's insanity. That's wrong. This is a battle for hearts and minds. I've often said they were able to take over these institutions in America without a single shot being fired. Not a single one. Yet we think that firing shots is the answer. It's not. Putting out more and more and more liberty focused conservative constitutionalists that have PhDs, that have master's degrees, that are going to be teachers, that are going to be government administrators and that are going to work in the media is a good start. Training our children and their children to get in and take these institutions back. This thing has taken 40, 50 years to get to the level that it's at, to become the cesspool it's become. President Trump has done a yeoman's task at trying to take back the White House, and look at how that's going. He's winning, but man, they're putting up a fight. They are kicking and screaming, every last one of them. Nobody wants to give up on their gravy train. Nobody wants to give up on the power that they've got. They want to maintain the power that they've got over whatever fiefdom they have. And for many people, those fiefdoms reach in with their tentacles into our lives. And that's what we've got to stop. And the way to stop it is to A, recognize it and B, start to push it back. If you know there's a a fire, you've got to point the water at the fire. We can't just go shoot the building. That doesn't matter. The thing's going to burn anyway. You got to put the fire out. Right now, the fire's on college campuses. And kudos to every organization out there that's focused on young Americans and infusing them with the truth of liberty. But we need more. We need you. A couple of nights ago, I was in the control room and Mark Levin was doing his show. Somebody called in, said something, and Mark said, What do you mean? What are we doing? Who's we? I know what I'm doing. I'm doing a pretty big radio show. What are you doing? And it dawned on me, wow, Mark is right as usual. This is the key. The onus is on us. Not us, the guys that talk on microphones, or us, the guys on TV, or us, the people in the military, or us, the people in government. It's on each and every one of us to do our part however we see that part. So if you see yourself as an activist, you've got to go out there and be active. If you want to go march on Washington, good for you. If you want to start a podcast, good for you. You want to become a TV host, good for you. You want to become a professor, good for you. Go get a PhD at a good school. Get your facts right. Go do what you got to do. But the point is, that's what they did. The left took over the universities by becoming educated. Our answer can't simply be to say, don't get educated and turn your back and boycott the universities. Because to do that is to watch a nice neighborhood turn into a bad neighborhood, turn your back on it, and then it, it just spreads in that neighborhood and the adjoining neighborhood. And the only way to get rid of cancer is to cut it out or zap it with radiation or kill it with chemo. If you don't get rid of it, it spreads. Growing up, my dad always told me a, a saying in Spanish Mata el perro y se acaba la rabia. You kill the dog, he's no longer rabid. Now, I'm not saying that we kill the leftists. Get that out of your mind. That's exactly what I'm saying not to do. I'm saying that we have to kill leftism. Love the sinner, hate the sin, right? We've got to take back universities so that they're no longer left-wing lunatic indoctrination factories. Take back the media, which is probably the most formidable one of all of them because there are examples of conservatives in media that are growing and winning. But that's what we've got to do. We can't just sit here and pretend that by having negative thoughts or having happy thoughts or, you know, buying an AR-15 magazine that fits more bullets than the last one we bought is somehow going to fix the problem. It's not going to fix the problem because we want to live in a free world, in a free country, and we can't have that freedom if the leftists continue to extract liberty from from our lives. Hold on to that for a second. I'm Rich Valdez. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to This Is America.
0: This Is America.
1: All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, and there was a video that was all over the place the last few days of a nurse. She was so somber and sad and she's crying and she does like a Facebook Live in desperation because she said she called Black Lives Matter and other groups and the state and she blew the whistle and nobody cared, nobody gave a damn that she saw so much medical mismanagement going on that people were dying. And I kept asking everybody who shared this video, what's her name? Because I wanted to get her on the show. I wanted to learn more about her. A, because I wasn't sure if this, you know, if you don't know who people are, when people don't put their names on things, these anonymous things, just like the whistleblower that was anonymous against the president, I call BS on that. If you're going to make an accusation, come out and say it. I put my name on everything. My My Twitter has my face. It has my name. My So does my podcast. I let you know what I think because this is my truth. And hey, I'm going to let you know. And if you don't like it, that's that's up to you. But I'm not going to hide behind it and be like, I am defender of liberty at liberty12345678910 on Twitter. I don't believe in that. I really don't. This whole anonymous stuff, screw it. It's BS. Be a man, say what you have to say. If you can't, then don't say it because I really don't respect that. So I wanted to make sure that she was the real deal. And it turns out she did uh, an interview with the Daily Mail, and her name is Nicole. Cirotech. she's 37 year old mother of two and she's from Nevada she left Nevada to come to New York to help out with this coronavirus staff shortage and she said a lot of things she's an ICU nurse and she claims they're not dying of COVID and I get what she's saying She wasn't saying they're not infected with COVID. She was saying that inept people that lacked compassion and humanity who didn't care enough to keep people alive were making such mistakes that it was costing these people their lives and she likened it akin to murder. And she mentions that they're minorities and an argument that I constantly make when people say that this is happening to minorities and that's happening to minorities, there is a reality. And I learned it as a school board member. And the reality is this, it's based on data, not on my own uh, anecdotal observation. Minorities that have less education, which by and large they tend to have less education, will suffer more because they don't know as much. If you can't turn, if you're a young Puerto Rican kid, young black kid, whatever, and you can't turn to your mom or dad, who's college educated, who reads, writes, and speaks at the college level. You're at a disadvantage compared to any other counterpart. Now, this is a country that was founded by white guys that came from England. So it makes sense to me that the first settlers were white and they were the first ones to establish these schools and they were the first ones to benefit from these schools and the education Therefore, Makes total sense to me. I also understand, like I just said, we can't abandon the bad neighborhoods. You go into a bad neighborhood that's ravaged by crime and it it brings poverty. Now, it depends on where you go. Some bad neighborhoods in certain parts of the country are all white. The poorest neighborhoods can be white and it doesn't mean poor is bad, but typically where there's poverty, there's going to be crime. Again, these are facts. So when this nurse says they're all minorities and nobody cares that they're dying, those are two statements that are true. They're all minorities, period. Nobody cares that they're dying. Period. But they don't not care because they're minorities. This isn't a race-driven problem. It's an education problem. If you don't know better, you won't do better. Period. But listen to what some of what Nurse Syrotech had to say.
3: Nobody is listening. They don't care what is happening to these people. They don't. I'm literally coming here every day and watching them kill them. I mean, we're not gonna save everybody, that's fine. Like, come on guys, we're not God. But like, some of these people, hey, we know that they're not gonna live. Let's start a hospice unit or something, you know? Like, they don't need to be in the ICU, let's change course, let's do palliative care or something. Like, literally, some of these people are just on sedation to keep them on the vents, nothing else. Now this nurse is a hero. She's a hero
1: because she cared enough. She took it upon herself to do more in desperation, with tears in her eyes and exacerbation in her voice, she cared. She cared enough to keep trying, and people saw that she cared, and they saw that she was sincere. and now her story's being told. So when she says, quote, "I legitimately don't know what to do anymore, Even the advocacy groups don't give a crap about these people. Like literally, black lives don't matter here. It's not because they're black. It's because they're uneducated and they're poor and those are forgotten people. And that's what we have to address. The fact that it happens more so with Hispanics and blacks is a secondary issue that we should address as well. I think all Hispanics should be very educated. All Hispanics should be prosperous. All African-Americans should be highly educated. All African-Americans should be very prosperous. Why not? All people should. That's the point I'm making, that they weren't dying because they were black, unless it was specifically because the virus was targeting them because they had weaker immune systems, because they're predisposed to other conditions because of a bad diet, which I can personally attest to. But when she cries out and says, what I need is someone to help me save these people from being killed, from gross negligence and medical mismanagement, and no one's listening to me. I think that's the message that needs to be told. And it doesn't need to be prostituted or perverted and turned into a different story. A story about how governments are trying to cover up things and pad their numbers for COVID-19. Yes, that's happening, but these things can be exclusive to one another. They're not necessarily commingled, although they may be. And that's the part I want to make, I guess, overall theme here is I'm saying to think critically. What she's crying about here is about nurses not caring enough, not being trained enough, and their leadership not caring enough because it's an underrepresented population of people, mainly because they're poor and they're poor because they don't have education. That's the point I wanna drive home. I salute this nurse for everything she's doing because you could hear it in her voice when she says things like this.
3: We're not treating the COVID guys, like, for real. We're not treating the COVID. You know, every day we try and get these guys off the vents, right? Because, you know, there's criteria for weaning. Every day, the day shift nurse will wean them down, like, to, like, minimum sedation. Every night, we come in, and we get the same two residents, and they fucking max out all the sedation again and undo all the work from the day shift. Then the day shift attending will come in, and they'll all do rounds, and they'll be like, he wasn't synchronizing with the vent, so we had to turn all the sedation on, and I'm like, he wasn't synchronizing with the vent because it's in the wrong vent mode. So I legit don't even know what to do anymore. Like I tried calling advocacy groups. I tried talking with management here, like the nursing admin, like nothing. Nobody's doing anything.
1: How could anybody disagree with that? Saving lives is key. Saving lives is critical. So kudos to nurse Nicole Sirotech for A, doing this interview and letting us all know who she is. We salute her as a hero. And up next, I want you to hear about other people that are being courageous, like Shelly Luther. Keep it locked right there. You're going to hear my segment with Curtis and Juliet right after this. You're listening to This Is America. This Is America. All right, America, welcome back. Now, like I said, I want you to hear what Shelly Luther had to say When she was before the judge, very eloquent, very passionate, very articulate. Check this out.
2: Judge, I would like to say that I have much respect for this court and laws and that I've never been in this position before. And it's not some place that I want to be. But I have to disagree with you, sir, when I when you say that I'm selfish because feeding my kids is not selfish. I have hairstylists that are going hungry. Because they'd rather feed their kids. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision. But I am not going to shut the salon.
1: Now, remember, this is a woman that went before a judge because she needs to feed her family. So she opened up her hair salon, taking their temperature before they came in, following the principles of infection control, etc. But she was chastised for laws that weren't even passed by legislators. These aren't even actual laws. These are emergency powers that the governor and the mayor are using to take away her liberty, to take away her rights, and it's wrong. And that's what I was talking about on WABC Radio just a little while ago, and I want you to hear this from the Curtis and Juliet Show on WABC Radio in New York City. Let's
2: bring Richie V in because he is a barber. He used to have a barbershop, a very famous, well-known, loved barbershop. Here's my feeling, Richie V. The reason that you guys are doing this, the barbershops and nail salons in here, it's because it's the kind of industry where you become friends with your clients. Um, you have sort of you it's almost like a bartender. You you have personal conversations, you're touching them, you're so you have sort of a, a breakdown of that sort of professional uh, client client that that sort of th- it's that, like that being bar. a therapist. Yeah, it really kind is. Of, you yeah. do
1: learn everybody's deepest, darkest secrets, whether you ask for them or not. They come unsolicited. Yes. and a lot of people, this is just a thing that they do. For a lot of again, I was a barber. I wasn't really a hairstylist, so I I had a shop where it smelled like Clubman talc, and we shaved and we did all that stuff. And you, so. by the
2: way, you you owned this shop.
1: I did. And yeah, you Fat started Bades barbershop.
2: You left in your senior year of high school.
1: Yep, to go to night school so that I could operate my business full-time. You are an amazing person. Really impressive. It seemed like a good idea at the time. And so you were giving fades to uh, rappers or wannabe rappers? Well, no, my uh, clientele was really diverse. We had a lot of people that lived on, you mentioned rappers like Tretch from Naughty by Nature, lived down at the Galaxy. He wasn't a client, but there were other business people that were. Where that was came this? up. This was on 68th Street and Bergenline Avenue. Oh, okay. um, in It's technically Guttenberg, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, it's right yeah. next to West New York. Right. And uh, and it's interesting that we're talking about this because I think I'm one of few people that actually had my shop padlocked by the Guttenberg police under the leadership of Chief Richard Fogarty and Sergeant Grisbowski. <laughs> these guys, and there was a mayor, Daladana, that lived on the 68th Street. And these guys did not like the fact that I had a really large clientele and these guys would come and smoke Newport cigarettes while they were waiting for a haircut and they didn't look like business people. They looked like kids hanging out waiting for a haircut. And uh, they... Considered that a public nuisance, and one wow. day when I wasn't there, they came in. They're like, "Wait, where's where's the owner?" And uh, they're like, "Oh, he's not here." And they were like, "All right, well, everybody out," um, and they shut. What the place was the down. justification? Their justification was, uh, and, and I guess. They, they bent the rules, right? This falls under the jurisdiction of the State Board of Cosmetology and Hairstyling for the state of New Jersey, It's a state entity, which would come and give you a ticket if they didn't like something. Mm-hmm. These guys said, well, well, we didn't see your paperwork hanging oh, up in the right places, boy. so we shut the place down. Wow. So <laughs> harassment. Like a public health thing, I guess. But there was never an issue so,
0: with So uh, you have a lot of colleagues in the field, men and women. Uh, they haven't gotten their small uh, business loan bailout to keep them afloat. A lot of them have insisted, uh, even against the edicts of a lockdown in their areas, that they have to open up. They have no choice. What is it, just as a a guy who has cut hair, a guy who has been in a crowded facility, what is it that the business itself can do to make sure that the customers are safe and secure from coronavirus and that those who are taking care of their hair or their nails are safe and secure?
1: Well... What I think right now, you know, obviously, if somebody didn't pay me to talk on the radio or to produce radio, I'd be cutting hair, very likely, or working in politics, one or the other. Uh, But as a barber, as a shop owner back then, what I would have done, I think I definitely would have probably maybe taken a chair out, which would have cost me money to create Mm -hmm. more distance because the chairs are never six feet apart. I think that would be the first thing you do is make sure that the next guy is six feet away. But you're conducting a service where you can't be six feet apart. So – some sort of hazmat suit activity. You know, you would follow the uh, protocol of infection control. A lot of PPE use, you know, in between clients. Can you wear gloves while you're cutting? I've never been a fan, but that has actually been a trend that's caught on in the last five years where people, a lot of barbers were using gloves. uh, And I never really liked it because I felt you lose some of the tactile ability that you have Mm -hmm. when you don't have a glove on. But now I think that's going to be the new normal. Everybody's going to be using gloves to cut hair and probably wearing a mask and doing those types of things. um, Or at least somebody's wearing a mask until it's over. And I think, you know any business owner, what you have to do is you've got to put a sign on your door and say, hey, we're doing this thing here. Uh, It's not like the nurse is going to say, look, there's social distancing. I can't take your temperature. I can't do stitches. But there are certain industries where you're going to be on top of people. And barbers are trained in the principles of infection control and how to uh, minimize communicable diseases and identify them. So I think with all of that being said, barbers are professionals. They know what to do. They know how how to get done what they have to get done. Mm -hmm. And I think we should um, let go and let God.
2: I love let let go go and let God
1: and let God.
2: Yeah, I like that. That's like um, that's a class live
1: and let live. That's a (laughs) class. I don't need Governor Murphy, Governor Cuomo or Mayo Mayor Bill and Boba de Blasio coming, telling me how to give a faith.
0: If your uh, barber establishment uh, had been padlocked in this instance under this uh, lockdown edict of Governor Murphy, would you Mm. have been one that has threatened to go to federal court? Uh, claiming that your <laughs> rights uh, your It would be rights. on like Donkey
1: Kong I mean I have yeah. an incredible platform now That I did not have then That's why that happened And I, Back then I vowed to myself I will never let this happen again Because I was, I was victimized And I'm, I don't ever claim to be a victim You were 16 years old I was a young kid with a business And I was victimized for doing well and, and that's part of the reason I'm a conservative today When wow. you come at me because I succeeded That's not cool The government should never attack people for succeeding Wow, that's so interesting. That's Richie
0: Valdez, that. best known for being the phone screener for the Mark Levin Show. He talks to hillbillies all across America every night. I think he's
2: night. best known now for This Is America,
0: his
1: podcast.
0: <laughs> this Is America, and you get how do you get the podcast again? Oh, you Here can w- always
1: find that at wabcradio.com, or you can go wherever <laughs> you get your uh, podcast, whether it's Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts.
0: And as of late, uh, as our new owner, John Katsomadidis, has cleared the deck and provided more live and local programs, Programming during this coronavirus spread, you've been a regular fixture on Saturday nights from five to
1: six. Yeah, live at five every Saturday with continuing coverage of the coronavirus (laughs) crisis, and of course, a lot of commentary from me.
0: Now, what about the salons that take care of the nails?
1: There's a lot of them out there. Yeah, I I would say that's probably less intimate than a haircut. You, You, I think you don't bleed. Unless there's like a, a mishap, well, you, you nick people. But I mean,
2: you know, I don't think that's
1: yeah. and you shouldn't bleed in a haircut. But I mean, right. you're, when you're shaving, that that's a possibility. Yeah. So I, I think if you're good at what you do, you're going to minimize that type of thing. And they always wear masks. They're there's all, tons yeah, of chemicals, not always,
2: but the, you know, a lot of a lot of the a lot of them do. Um, but I have to uh, just just very quickly. Apparently, before we did our uh, right versus left, you came to Curtis to get. Uh, pointers about me, no. and you guys have aligned yourself together. Well,
1: he turned on me. Of course, that's what happened. Well, here's what it is. He, like we talked about in the beginning of the segment, as he got into the chair and I was barbering and and doing his hair, mm-hmm. he just started spouting out because, like I said, it's like you're being a therapist. Deal, how to deal with me? I was did coaching. he tell
2: you that? Did he prepare you for the fact that? Well, I he do told me. He said, "Be careful voices.
1: because she's got really serious connections. One guy, Sal from Brooklyn, Sal, and you don't Sal. want to mess with South from ass Brooklyn." Ass.
2: Yeah, but wait a minute. He doesn't have enough hair to cut, to d- enough time to sit there and cover all the ground it would take. <laughs> That's true. true.
0: But I had my beret on. He cut <laughs> my hair with my beret on. is actually he on the Curtis not. and Juliet yeah, yeah, I saw Facebook that. page. Yeah, no, that I did that, see. Yeah, th- I saw th- that showed how dexterous you were to be able to actually dexterous. clip my ah, hair with my beret
2: <laughs> on. <Aplectic> and dexterous. <laughs> no, <Both. it's> multi-syllabic. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's called yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Yes. All right, America, I hope you enjoyed that clip from the Curtis and Juliet show on WABC radio. If you want to check it out, their podcast is available at wabcradio.com, as is mine. And you can always find out everything that you need to find out about the This is America or our, our show on WABC radio at therichvaldez.com. richvaldez.com is our website for all things This Is America. So go check us out there and follow us on all of our social media platforms. And if you have any complaints, always hit up Mr. Producer at Rich Cementa and let him know what you don't like and everything you do like, let me know. Just kidding. But I always leave you before we go with a couple of admonitions, and I want to leave you with those right now. Because today, more than ever, I think they're so important. If you stand for nothing, you will absolutely fall for anything don't believe the hype. Don't get it twisted. Know your stuff. Know your facts. Read stuff so that you know stuff so that you can do stuff and people can't pull stuff over on you. And remember, you got to step up. The only thing that's necessary for evil to win, to triumph, is for you to sit down, take several seats and do nothing. So don't do that. Step up, rise up, use your brain, use your mouth. Let's get this country back to where it needs to be. You're listening to Rich Valdez on This Is America.
0: This is America.
3: College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org register.